0: So thankful that you're here in person. Thank you for joining us at home or on the road or wherever you may be. Uh, We are in our church series, as Nick said. And as Nick said, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, again, just thankful that we can be together. We're going to be in Mark 8 this morning. So if you have a Bible or a device, whatever it may be, invite you to turn there. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Now in our series, Church, last week, John began this series kicking it off talking about who are we as a church? What should the church be about? Uh, Where are we going? Some of these questions were posed. And really, what does it mean to be the church in culture and society? And I want to start off by saying is so often what happens is people say, well, here's the church, and then everything else is culture and society. I want to strike that down right away, is that the church is part of culture, church is part of society. And as Jesus said, that we're we're not to be taken from the world, but protected from it. That we're to be salt and light in the world. That we are to be present here. And so it's not a battle of church versus culture, culture versus church. Church contributes to society, and society impacts church. And so we need to understand what it means to be formed, and that formation happens all the time. We're constantly being formed, but how are we being formed? And so today what we want to look at is we want to look at what does it mean to be the developing church, to be a church that develops. And when I say church, I don't mean a building. That is far from what we mean in this series, in this topic. It is us. It is followers of Jesus that here, down the road, around the city, around the state, around the country, and around the world who gather in the name of Jesus, the church. And so we're going to begin this morning in Mark chapter 8. And so we're going to be in verse 34. That's where we're starting, and we're going to read through verse 38. Then he, being Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said this. So he's saying it to those who are following him and anyone else who is listening. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me... Recently, someone came and confessed to me in quite a, a hesitant way, and they gave permission for me to share this. They came and they said, uh, Chris, I don't, I don't like to be called a Christian. I'm really starting to dislike being known as a Christian. <laughs> and I noticed this kind of like, all right, what's he going to say? This person was, was not walking away from Jesus This person was was not questioning faith in any way. This person wasn't even deconstructing their faith. I think they were asking a sincere question that many of us, myself included, have been asking of what does it mean to be a Christian? Because in our time, in our world right now, the word Christian along with the word evangelical has all sorts of labels attached to it, all sorts of meanings. Some, we could say, were put on there by people who stand opposed to Christianity, but I would say the majority of it is our own fault. Through our words and our actions, we have done things and said things that have, have caused people to look at this word and how we identify as a Christian and go, no, no. Two examples, just simply, uh, last week I was looking and reading an article, uh, someone that I often read. And as I read the article, I made the mistake of looking at the comment section, which is generally a mistake in general, uh, to look at comments and everything that follows strings on social media. So there's over 1,400 comments on this one article. And what I soon realized as I skimmed through these is what it was is it was Christians attacking non-Christians and non-Christians attacking Christians. 1,400 posts of attack. And it was horrific. And it made me think of another post that I saw of Christians just going back and forth at each other. And someone in that string, again, a mistake I read by reading all these, someone said this. They said, you have all demonstrated exactly why I am not a Christian. If that doesn't hit you and go, oh, time for a heart check. Time for a heart check. Because the person that posted this is not the enemy. It's easy to make them the enemy and to come back and be like, ah, i we going at you. See, I wonder, often when we hear things like this, that we quickly just go to a passage of, well, well Jesus said we'd be hated. The person hates us. They're wrong. Jesus said we would be hated because of him and his message, the gospel not because of sinful attitudes or actions that we as Christians have said or done. So so are Christians hated because of Jesus or because Christians are not acting like Jesus? When someone comes at me, am I being hated because of Jesus or because I'm not acting like Jesus? And this isn't about being accepted or gaining the whole world, as Jesus said, Rather, it's about being Christ-like. And that's a question I've been pondering, is why don't Christians look more like Christ? Why don't Christians look like Christ? Barna, who is a research group, they've been asking this question for a while, and a number of years ago, they did a survey, and they built these questions around attitudes and actions. And what they did is they went into Scripture and they said, okay, what did Jesus do, say, think? What are some of his actions and attitudes? And then they looked at other attitudes and actions in Scripture. And I don't have time to go through all of these, and let's put the first one up here. Is that I want you to look at these questions, if you can read them. I apologize if you can't. I recognize they're small. And what they asked is they asked people to say, true in my life or false in my life, or is it somewhere in between? So as you look at this list, just take a moment to read through this and be like, yeah, I agree with that or I disagree with that. And then the same thing with attitudes. Let's go to the next screen. So once again, take a look at this, of true in my life or false in my life, or somewhere leaning false, somewhere leaning truth. These are attitudes. So again, as I mentioned, they looked at attitudes and actions of Jesus. And then the other attitudes and actions, which I didn't mention, I said other people, were those of the Pharisees. Pharisees are not highly looked upon by anyone in Scripture, nor Jesus. Jesus, in fact, attacked Pharisees all the time. So this is how they broke their questions out. So the first five on both screens were questions being significant of the actions of Jesus. The final five were those that aligned with the attitudes and actions of Pharisees. Take a moment and look at that again. And then let's go to the next screen, the same thing with the attitudes. The first five were those of Jesus. The last five were those that aligned scripturally with Pharisees. And so when they gathered results, there's all sorts of results. I'm just going to show you one part of the result here. You can put up the next slide, Johnny, if you would. Is that across the horizontal are attitudes, the vertical is actions. What they found of people who self-identified as Christians, that 51% had both pharisaical attitudes and pharisaical actions. On the right side in the bottom quadrant, they had Christ-like attitudes, the 21% but pharisaical actions. Church, Christians, we have a problem. And this was years ago, and I don't think anything has gotten better. We have a problem. Yeah, this is, this is great that there is 14% of Christ-like attitudes and actions, but we have a problem. And we understand and we feel what this person said about not wanting to be called a Christian. Another study was done by researcher David Kingman, who found that 84% of people surveyed knew a Christian personally. This is amazing. This is great. Good job, church. You are meeting people who are not followers of Jesus. But 15% of those, 84% there, say that the Christian's lifestyle is noticeably, is, is noticeably different in a good way. So 85% are like, nope, it's not good. The Christian I know, their lifestyle is not positive. It is not helpful. Again, I ask the question, are people being hated, Christians being hated, are we hated because we're like Jesus or because we're not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in Christ-like attitudes and actions in our daily life? We are quiet this morning. I process this. This is a pained reality as someone who is called to lead a church, who's been put in this position. This pains me when I hear these things, when I read these things, when I see these things fall out. And it causes all sorts of personal questions, greater questions beyond myself, too, of who are we being formed into? Who are we developing into? And I wonder, and I ask questions like this, is is maybe what we've done is we've embraced Christianity as a passive reality. That, yep, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in the past. I was baptized in the past. I mean, I'm in church today. I, I believe in God. But it's this passive reality. And I wonder if we have just settled for Christianity And we're just satisfied with who we are instead of who we're becoming, not realizing who we're becoming. Maybe we've simply embraced Christianity, but we see discipleship as something optional. Is that, yes, I'm a Christian, but you know that discipleship thing, that class, that program, that's for super Christians. Maybe someday I'll be a disciple when I'm married or I have kids or the kids are out of the house or when I'm a grandparent or whatever it may be. Then I'll be a disciple. But there's no differentiation in Scripture between disciple and anything else. Listen to this. Dallas Willard wrote these words. He said, The word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. Christian is found three times and was first introduced to refer precisely to disciples of Jesus. The New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples Of Jesus Christ. There's no differentiation between a Christian and a disciple according to the scriptures. So to be a disciple is to be one who follows Jesus. But to be a disciple is one who develops while following Jesus. These are action-driven words. The same thing is true of our mission statement, which says this, developing followers of Jesus who serve to reach one more. Again, this develop, this serve, this reach, this is active. It is not passive of I did something in the past and I'm good. It is active. It is forward-moving. It is transformative to me personally and to those I interact with around me. So how do we do this? How do we develop? How do we become disciples? Well, thankfully, the Word speaks to this. Let's go back to Mark chapter 8, verse 34, which we read. Then he, being Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So those who were already following him actively and anyone else who would listen. And he said this, Whoever wants to be my disciple, here we go, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Must follow me. So Jesus said this, This is what you are to do if you want to be his disciple. This is optional. There's no compulsion whatsoever. To follow Jesus. But Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 12. He said, whoever is is not with me, so whoever's not a disciple, is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So he's saying you have an option. You can be a follower of me. Same thing as a disciple of me. It's optional. Or you're against me. One or the other. No gray area. So what does this look like? Let's walk through these three things that Jesus says. The first thing: if we want to be a disciple, we need to deny ourselves and be with Jesus. Deny yourself and be with Jesus. How many of you like to deny yourself? Anyone? Anyone? Just love that? You got up this morning and I'm like, nope, I'm not eating. I'm hungry. Nope. Nope. Oh, nope. coffee. Nope. I'm, I want it. Nope. We live in a hedonistic society, right? And what I mean by hedonism is maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain. Think of our lives. Think of the role of technology. Think of our homes. Think of our vehicles. Think of the way we have built our weeks. Whatever it is, how do we maximize pleasure and minimize pain? And this, again, is not just... People out there, this is us. We can look and examine and tear apart how we operate as a church. We are just as guilty in maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain. But Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, And the Greek word is this, it's, it's this which means this. To forget oneself entirely and reject any thought of anything that gets in the way of or doing what will please ourselves rather than God. So anything that pleases ourself rather than God, we reject it. This is what Jesus meant when he said we're to deny ourselves. Now, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we repent of our sins, to repent means to turn and go a different way. So what we're doing is we're denying ourselves in that. We're rescued from darkness. We're forgiven. We're brought into the kingdom of God. We're denying the fact that I am God, that you are God, that we need a Savior. We cling to him through faith. And this is why Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. to go this new way. But it's not just about the one-time reality. This is about an ongoing practice. Denying ourselves daily. There's a pastor in Washington named Judah Smith, Not, not our Judah Smith, Another another, uh, Judas Smith. He said this. He said, if we're truly going to deny ourselves, then denying yourself can only be done when you are preoccupied and consumed with someone else. The only way we're going to deny ourselves is if we are preoccupied and consumed with someone else. Those of you who... Are married, or engaged, or ever dated, or whatever it may be, I'm guessing there was a season, and hopefully longer, and even now, that you were consumed and preoccupied by someone else. How many of you did something that you look back, you're like, oh, that was silly, like wrote a love poem, or a song, or drove hours to show up on their doorstep just to say hi, and then like, I gotta go back, because I gotta work, I mean, anything. No one has done anything silly in the name of love. All right, come on, come on, be proud of it, people. There we go. Yes, thank you for being honest. Why did you do this? You were preoccupied and consumed. You wanted their attention. I did a wedding this last weekend. Mid-wedding, the, the, the bride started singing a song. It was planned, but she just stepped away and started singing a song to her groom. And like they were just locked into each other, and I felt like I just needed to go like this. It's like, man, that's an intimate moment. Preoccupied and consumed. This is what Jesus is getting at by denying ourselves. This is what it means to follow Jesus, is that when we're preoccupied and consumed with Jesus, it is easy to deny ourselves by saying no to sin, by saying no to temptation, by saying no to things that just get in the way. It is easy to do these things when we are consumed with Jesus. I think this is what James meant in chapter four when he wrote, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. to deny ourselves. So to be a disciple, Jesus says we're to deny ourselves. We're to be with him. And so how do we practice this? I want to give you a practice. Again, this is all optional. You can try this this week. I want to encourage you to be in two places. Now, for those of you who have been here for a while, you're like, wait a second. We just did a series called Hurry. You've talked about slowing for the longest time, and now you're telling me to be in two places at one time. This is what I mean. When you're at work, be with Jesus. When you're at school, be with Jesus. When you're at home, be with Jesus. When you're driving, be with Jesus. Wherever you're at, be with Jesus. Because when you're in those situations and we're with Jesus, recognizing His presence, it's easy to deny yourself when we need to. It's easy to recognize, nope, I need to turn and go a different way. I need to deny myself in this situation. Because if we just simply compartmentalize Jesus of like, all right. It's my hour with Jesus here, where I got my five minutes, my 15 minutes, my half an hour in the morning. That's my Jesus time. I'm not denying ourselves, that's just compartmentalizing Jesus. What I want to encourage us this week is to be in two places. So we're called to deny yourself. The second thing Jesus says is to take up your cross. This is about becoming like Jesus. This is imitating Jesus. This is laying ourselves down at the altar of obedience. We see Jesus. Loving in Scripture, on mission, humbling himself, serving others, suffering, being obedient to the Father. John Piper, he, uh, he spoke of Jesus' cross and our cross in this way. He said there's really four things that define the cross. He said opposition, shame, suffering, and death. The Romans didn't throw people on the cross that they were on the same side with. They saw Jesus as one who opposed them. And so the cross is a symbol of opposition. It's also a symbol of shame. Those who hung on the cross hung there for a long time and often barely clothed, if clothed at all. People would walk by and be like, symbol of shame. It's a symbol of suffering too. Again, those who were crucified would hang on the cross for hours, eventually suffocating. The point was suffering. And then, too, it was not a symbol of torture, it was a symbol of death. It was a mode of death. And so when we look at Jesus' cross, when we're called to pick up our cross, why are we surprised when there's opposition, shame, suffering, or death? But again, in Jesus' name, not in my sinful actions or attitudes. Piper went on to say this He said, He said, Be willing without murmuring or God criticism or cowardice to be opposed, to be shamed, to suffer, and to die all for your allegiances to him. Taking up our cross means Jesus has become more, imp- more precious to us than approval, honor, comfort, and life. We like honor, comfort, life, and approval. You, I like it. Tozer said it this way, A.W. Tozer. He said, <coughs> excuse me, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of man's soul, and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar. But we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. That has been so true in my own life so many times. Where I refuse the cross. Take my little tinsel crown. I'll feel that pride, that moment. But then I run into that shadow and weakness and spiritual sterility. Jesus says to be a disciple, we deny ourselves and we be with Jesus. The practice is being in two places at one time. Jesus also says that we are to take up our cross and become like him. This invitation to a mature grace, a mature forgiveness, both now and in eternity. And I want to encourage you this week in the practice of seeking Jesus' approval. So when you're in that place at work or school, and you're with Jesus, when you have that moment for human approval, honor, comfort, and life, what would honor Jesus? What would it be? Maybe it is that moment of honor that you humbly receive that. But maybe it's something else. Only your week will tell. The third and final thing, Jesus says, is to follow. This is doing what Jesus did to follow Jesus. Love Peter, he, he made this comment. Peter was a pretty passionate guy. He said this, he said, we have left everything follow you. It is hard for us to comprehend what it means to do these things, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow, to say something like Peter's, we've left everything to follow. I mean, the disciples left their homes, their jobs, their their friends, their futures that they had planned. And we have a hard time denying ourselves simple things. We go back and we think of the disciples. It's how they took up their cross, a literal cross, when following Jesus. Matthew was martyred by the sword. <clears throat> Mark was drugged by horses through the streets. Luke hung in Greece because of the preaching. his preaching. Peter was crucified upside down. James was thrown from the temple, survived, and then beaten to death. James' son of Zebedee was beheaded at Jerusalem. Bartholomew was whipped to death. Andrew was crucified after being whipped. Thomas was stabbed by a spear. Jude was killed by arrows and would not deny Jesus. Matthew was stoned and beheaded. Paul was tortured and beheaded. And most of us are not going to die physically or our faith. But we're still called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow after Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, this is what I'm going to encourage you to do as some study, some homework this week. Is pick a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And just slowly start going through it. What are some attitudes and actions of Jesus? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? How did Jesus treat people? Who was he challenging? Who was he encouraging? we start to pick up this pattern of the biblical Jesus. Because quite possibly some of our struggle here in Western society in America is that we've fallen Americanized or Westernized Jesus instead of the biblical Jesus. We've been expected to do or say or act certain ways when Scripture is saying something different. So I encourage you to look at that. But we can replicate Jesus in a few things that he did. And I just want to quickly walk through these seven. First thing. Is that Jesus prayed? We see many times in scripture where Jesus went off alone and he prayed. He taught us how to pray. This was of the utmost importance. Prayer, Father, was important to Jesus. This is a way that we can follow Jesus. Jesus also fasted. We don't like to deny ourselves food or drink or whatever it may be, but Jesus fasted. He allowed his body to, to weaken so he could spiritually be stronger. He did this before ministry. This is something that the, the church has carried on as a tradition for the longest of time. The third thing Jesus did, amongst many other things, is he worshiped publicly. We see that it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue and worship. That he would go and be amongst people worshiping. The gathering is important. Four, Jesus read and studied scripture. By the age 12, by age 12, he was having conversations with with those who had studied their entire lives. He was keeping up with them, if not excelling past them. He read and studied scripture. Five, Jesus found solitude and silence. These things, they demand solitude and silence. So what does that look like for you? Just a pause in your day to reflect on the Lord. Maybe it's stepping outside just for a few minutes to pray and reflect. Maybe it's taking chunks of time just to be in the silent, and to be alone with the Lord. Maybe it's a weekend. Maybe it's a week. What does it look like? Something. Sixth thing, Jesus served. Jesus came and he gave his life away. Not only physically on the cross, but he gave his life away. When he was ministering, he was constantly pouring into other people So Jesus served. And the seventh thing is Jesus shared. He shared about his father. He wanted people to know salvation, He wanted to know that salvation came through him and he was the access to the Father. And so by following Jesus, these are great ways to follow Jesus. To grab one, two, three, seven of these, whatever it may be, and to start to follow Jesus this way. To replicate Jesus, not as a checkbox of like, I'm good because I did this, but rather as relational growth, developing as a disciple Jesus. So the practice for this one is pick something. Pick it. Whatever it may be. You can go to that next side. That's fine, Johnny. So the three things. Deny yourself. Be with Jesus. Practice. Be in two places. Second thing, take up your cross. Becoming like Jesus. Practice seeking Jesus instead of human approval, honor, comfort, and life. And the third thing is following Jesus. Doing what Jesus did. The practice is take on a practice of Jesus. Well, why does this all matter? Let's go back to where we started. In Mark chapter 8. Then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. So there's an important temporal impact here and now in the life that we've been given. There is also eternal impact. We're we're growing as disciples of Jesus. We're developing as disciples of Jesus, not just for here, but for eternity. It is both now and eternal. And so as followers of Jesus, as disciples, may we be people in both attitude and action who reflect the Jesus we find in the scriptures. Jesus' attitude and actions what we say and what we do and where we go. May we deny ourselves. we pick up our cross, may we follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, the call to follow after you is, is one that seems overwhelming but yet possible. Jesus, it's a high call, but Lord, it's a possible call. And Lord, it was possible back when Jesus walked this earth, possible now, 2,000 years later. Lord, I pray that you'd fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, and pull our eyes from anywhere else that we look. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to form us and mold us into the individuals that you have called us to be, denying self, picking up our cross, following you. Lord, I pray for each person, each situation, whatever that looks like today in this week, that you'd remind them that they would engage in just one thing, just one thing. Lord, as they seek to develop as their follower of you, And Lord, in this moment, I wanna pause for a time just of confession, just silent confession to God. If there's anything that is just burdening you right now, anything that's heavy on your heart that you know you need to confess to God and God alone, that you would just silently confess that to God in this moment. Receive his forgiveness. And Lord Jesus, as we prayed earlier, as Nick prayed earlier, if there's anyone here or watching online that's never received you as their Lord and Savior, that they would take this moment, that they would confess sin, confess that they're a sinner, that they're in need of a Savior, and that they want to follow you, and that they would receive your forgiveness, and that they would seek you, and they would seek others, to help them in their walk. So Jesus, we pray that we would be disciples that honor you, that we would walk in your ways, that we would know your heart. And for us personally, for those around us, and most importantly, to bring you glory, God. So we pray all these things in Jesus's merciful, grace-filled, loving name. Amen. (music) you. <music>